helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. In today's show, Michael will be using the biblical story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 4 to 23, to launch his talk, Healing the Racial Divide, a topic that is very current today as people of all races from across the globe are coming together to fight racism. If you're new to this show, we are on the air every Monday morning at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about our not-for-profit organization by going to elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com, or by calling one 544 3546 Let's go right into today's show. The topic of racism has been in the news lately as a result of the death of George Floyd at the hands of the police. However, racism is not new to mankind. This plague has been on us since the beginning of time. And today, as I address this topic of healing the racial divide, I want to go back to a biblical text that is found in John chapter 4 to discuss this topic. And as I go into this topic, you will understand why it is pertinent to the topic of racism. So I will be, as I go through this text, I will be looking at the actions of Jesus and the symbolisms in the biblical text to highlight principles that can be effective for us today as we grapple with this problem of racism. I will also be looking at psychological uh, principles that are involved within this text, principles that can be uh, that can be applied by us today as we deal with this issue. And even though this show is about racism today, the principles that will be uncovered here can be applied to other areas of conflict, other areas of divide, such as even issues such as church splits and even rifts within families, some of which can go on for racism. So let me read a portion of the text. The entire passage that I will be referring to goes from John chapter 4, verse 4 to verse 21. But I will only be reading the first nine verses here and referring to the rest throughout the show. So verse 4 to 9 of John chapter 4 reads, Now he had to go through Samaria, Jesus that is. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate 
with the Samaritans. So as we read that passage of Scripture, especially that last verse, as we, we re- as I read that just now, I think we can begin to see the racial overtones that existed in that society, the racial construct that existed back in the time of Jesus. Because we are told there that the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. So it's good for us to have some understanding, some background information as to why that was so. We are told that the Samaritans, by scholars, that the Samaritans were descendants of the Israelites of the northern kingdom who had intermarried with foreigners and settled in Samaria in around 722 B.C., And so as a result of that intermarriage, there was some animosity where the the Jews did not see the Samaritans as being truly Jewish. They didn't have the full blood of Jewish people because of the intermarriage that had taken place. And so they looked down on the Samaritans as being inferior. And the Samaritans also looked down on the Jews because the Samaritans also saw themselves as the the real Jewish people, the persons who were worshipping God the right way. So there were some conflict between the, the Jews. And they had different styles of worship or different beliefs about worship where the Samaritans had built their temple on Mount Gerizim and they believed that that is the place that God was supposed, that, that where God was to be worshipped. And so there was this racial racial uh racial conflict, that not racial, but religious conflict that was going on. But the issues went deeper than that. According to John Mackenzie in the Dictionary of the Bible, he said that in about 108 BC, 108 BC, that the Samaritans had sided with the, with the Maccabeans and in the in the war in the Maccabean war and as a result of that they they had desecrated the temple of the Jews by scattering the bones of dead people in the sanctuary and according to that action that was the most evil thing that you could do for a Jew was to have dead bones in in the sanctuary where where the holy god their holy god was supposed to be worshiped so incidents like those led to a lot of animosity towards the the samaritans and so the jews had also attacked the samaritans territory and ravaged their temple as well so the evil went on both sides but we're getting the the picture from the side of the jews in this text we were told that the jews had nothing to to do with the Samaritan. And we can see this throughout the New Testament as well, or in other passages, I should say. For example, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, we are told of the parable of the good Samaritan. The fact that that Samaritan had to be labeled good meant that there was a negative stereotype of Samaritans in biblical times. And so this action, this good action by this Samaritan was noteworthy. The the news about a good priest or a good rabbi would not not, uh, stand out 
But if you had a good Samaritan who is doing something that is unexpected because of what Jews believed, then that would stand out. So it's against this background that we have this text here today. So now we come back to our text and we see Jesus in this cultural climate, in this cultural construct. He's meeting with this lady, this woman of Samaria, by the well. But in verse 4, we are told that Jesus must go through Samaria. And if we read that at surface level, it can seem as if that was the only route to get to where Jesus wanted to go. So Jesus was going to Galilee, and we could feel that he had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, but that wasn't the case at all. Jesus was purposing in his heart that he was going to go through this through this place that others hated. And so he took the direct route from Jerusalem to Galilee through Samaria, where in contrast, most Jews went the longer way by by the river Jordan. And so Jesus is doing is is being counterculture. He's doing the opposite of what most people in his time would do, most Jews in his time would do. So that's my first point I want to to, to highlight today is that if we are going to heal the racial divide that exists in our society, then we have to become counterculture. We have to be like Jesus. Jesus is going through what others avoid. He's going towards what others avoid. And so if you are going to make a difference I am often asked, I'm doing this show because I've been asked by so many people, so many of my clients, what can we do to play our part in fighting racism? So the first point is that if you're going to fight racism, then you have to be counterculture. You have to go against the stereotypes that others hold of people. Other people saw the Samaritans as being as being evil. But Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. Other people avoided the Samaritans, but Jesus went towards Samaria, towards the place that others avoided. And it's not always easy being counterculture because a lot of what we do sometimes are done at a subconscious level. And we do things, we exclude others from our circles of friends, and we don't invite others that are different to our barbecues and our family gatherings, not so much because we are racist, but because there is something in us that is drawn to what is familiar and what we know. But what Jesus is doing here is an example of what we all need to do, including myself, where Jesus is saying, I must go towards Samaria. I must go towards that thing, that place that others avoid, that place that is viewed as different. They don't worship like us. They don't see God the same way. They don't have our blood within them. But I, Jesus in the, in the passage is saying, I must go towards Samaria. And so that's the first point. We have to be counterculture and move towards what others avoid. But then there is also some symbolism in this text that I want to refer to. And 
it's it's not stated outrightly in the text, but it's it's implied, and that is the bucket or the the water pan by which the water is being drawn by the well. When Jesus asked this woman for water, what she said was, "Sir, you have nothing to draw, and the well is deep." So, in other words. Jesus is is the, when Jesus said I should say that he was going to to give this woman water she said to him sir you have nothing to draw and the well is deep and so we are seeing there that we have these two people there two cultures are colliding in that meeting and Jesus is talking to her about water and giving her this water and she's thinking how are you going to give me anything when i don't see I don't see you with a water bucket to draw from this well. But Jesus was speaking of a different type of water. He's using water to referring to that deeper psychological, spiritual need that this woman had that he could meet. And on the other hand, she is saying, I have something that you need. I have this water pan. And so Jesus is asking her for something, but he's also giving her something. So there is a give and take relationship. And I think there's a beautiful analogy in that in that passage where Jesus representing the Jew is asking this woman for water, but he's also giving her something. He's giving her a different type of water, the living water. So there is a trade-off. And I think that the water pan that this woman has in this verse symbolize that the people that we look on and that we despise and that we think have nothing to give often have a lot to offer. We often look down at their level of education because they're different and they haven't been to our universities. But a lot of those people are very educated from where they're coming from and they have talents and they have gifts that we often miss out on. And we are not enriched by those gifts and those talents because we saw we see them as nothing. Jesus didn't make that mistake. Jesus saw this woman as having something to give. And he said to her, give me some of that water and so but he's also offering her so the point i am making here in that in that symbolism of the the bucket that this woman have and the living water that jesus is referring to is that we need to see people as not being useless but see people as as being potentials of having something to give, of being a way of enriching us and not just people who are taken from us. In an article entitled Xenophobia and Anti-Immigrant Politics that was published in 2010, and this was published, this is an international in the International Studies Association and Oxford University Press, it was published by the Oxford University Press. That article went on, this is an article by Lars Rensman and Jennifer Miller. That article talked about a growing tendency in the world that they have noticed since the 1980s in which there is a growing hostility within many countries towards foreigners and people who are different. And, and in the in the article, it goes on to, it, it talks about how this is very strange because even countries that you would not 
you would not expect that from that there is this this hatred and this suspicion of of foreigners and there are political parties that are becoming successful in these in these countries because they they have policies that are anti-immigrant and they are becoming more and more popular throughout the world so this is a growing trend and i think at the root of that is this way of seeing as seeing the other as having nothing to give and i'll just read a part of the the article here where they talk about how they see they see the immigrants today and and quote they're attacked by some parties as social parasites immigrants have been blamed for virtually anything from the loss of identity to the loss of workplace or new global disease unquote and so in this story we see jesus not seeing not seeing the samaritan woman like that he's seen her as having something to give and he is enriching her but she's also has the potential to enrich him because it, she's asking him for water michael will be right back you have been listening to the Life Transformation Show where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on the topic, Healing the Racial Divide. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Back to Michael. But there is also a second point here or, or a second symbolism in the text and that's the symbolism of the well. The well is this place where people come to for water and it represents common ground. It represents the intersection. It doesn't matter what culture you are or where you are from. People in those days, they all had to go to the well. They all they all became thirsty they all needed they all needed water and so the well is this common ground this common meeting place this place on which we can both stand but not only was it a, a common meeting ground from the from the practical or the, the physical standpoint. We are told that it was Jacob's well. And I think a lot of us in, in, in talking about this text overlook the fact that the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that this was Jacob's well. Now, why are we being told that it was Jacob's well? Well, when it comes to Scripture, we often hear the New Testament talks and talks talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I don't have time to go into what all three represent here. But when the Bible refers to the God of Jacob, it is talking about the God of grace, the God who gives to the other what he or she does not deserve. Jacob was a con artist. He's, he's the first person to stole someone's identity. 
And we see that he stole his brother's brother Esau's identity by pretending to be him. And so Jacob was a conniver and, and, and a con man. But we see that God was still favorable to him despite his shortcomings. So when the Bible talks about the God of Jacob, it's, it's talking about the God of grace, the, the God who gives unmerited favor to those who don't deserve. And so they're meeting at this meeting place, Jacob's well, this place where the God of grace intersects both religion and these two cultures are colliding at that place where the God of grace is saying, you, neither of you deserve my grace, but you're meeting there because I am the God of Jacob and this is Jacob's well. And the point I want to drive home here is that we need to to have grace towards the other because we have each wronged others in different ways. And I think when we become self-righteous and we think it is all about what the Samaritans have done to us or all about what, what the Jews have done to the Samaritan, then we are missing the picture. Jacob, Jacob's well is saying it's a place of grace. It's a place where we both need to repent. It's a place where we all fall short. So it's a place of common ground where, where they they each have a certain need that has to be met there in the, in the practical, physical sense of having water. But in a deeper sense, it's a place where grace is needed. So the well is that common ground. And we often magnify what separates us and we miss what brings us together. We miss what we have in common. The well symbolizes that which we have in common. So if we are going to heal the racial divide, we need to start focusing on that which we have in common and stop magnifying the differences that we have. But the third symbolism in the passage is the water. And the water speaks to that which satisfies temporarily, but never fully satisfies. In verse 13, Jesus said to the woman, Jesus, Jesus answered her and said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Drink the water I will give you, and you will never thirst again. That's verse 13. And so Jesus, in, in, in using this analogy of the water that he's talking about, which goes beyond the natural water to that psychological state of, of or, or, or that spiritual state of being satisfied. And you might notice that I'm using the term psychological and spiritual, sometimes interchangeable, and many of, of you might not be aware. But when psychology first started, it was the study of the soul Psychology actually comes from the the Greek word psych, which is the, which is the soul, and so psychology actually has to do with the soul, that deeper inner part that cannot be seen. So Jesus is not talking about uh, literal water; he's talking about her psychological state, and he's saying you have a deep emotional need that can't be satisfied. And you are you have been trying to satisfy it in many ways, and she wasn't getting it. She kept talking about the literal water. And what Jesus did 
in the passage is very profound because Jesus began to talk to her about her actions that were reflecting her pain, were reflecting that she had a psychological thirst. And he said to her, go call your husband. And to that she said, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You rightfully say you have no husband because you have had five husbands and the one that you have now is not yours. This woman might have just dropped. She must have just been so stunned that Jesus knew so much about her, but he was looking into her psychological state. And I don't think it is that this woman had five husbands who had died. This is very, very unlikely because she was a young woman, young enough to be going to the well in in the heat of the noonday sun to carry buckets of water. So she must have been a child, a, a woman of childbearing age. But yet she has been through five husbands. What Jesus could have been saying to her is that you have had five adulterous affairs and that the person that you're now sleeping with is, is married. And so Jesus uh, spoke to her action that represented her psychological state. And for those of you who might be might be saying, how do I know this? Why couldn't it be that her husband had died? Well, well, let's look at the text. If we read the text further down, we'll see that she said, sir, you must be a prophet. In other words, how do you know this? In other words, these five husbands were some sort of a secret that nobody else knew about. If you have five dead husbands, trust me, the whole town will know about you. The whole town will know that this woman has grieved five times. But she said, sir, I perceive that you must be a prophet. You must be seeing things in the spiritual realm that make you know that I have had five husbands. And so when people have unsatisfied psychological thirst, such as uh, the need for love that they never got as a child, and it, it leads to feelings of abandonment or neglect that needs to feelings of rejection. These results in actions that are that can temporarily meet that need. So this woman's affairs that she has been having is like the water, the natural water that satisfies for a while, but will never truly satisfy. And so, so that uh, those adulterous affairs is a means of trying to feel loved, a means of trying to feel like she belongs. And Jesus is saying, no woman, you're going about this the wrong way. Those affairs will never satisfy. But I have the right kind of water that will satisfy. So some of the other things that people do or that we see in this text, I say that she was doing to try to satisfy her thirst was through religion. And how many of you know that religion can be a false way of trying to satisfy your thirst. Yes, and so Jesus said to her later on in the text that you worship and you know not what you worship. So she has been worshiping, but she has been using religion to try to cover up her pain. She has not been worshiping in the right kind of sense. And so it is that we find many people turn to religion, but they turn to it in a superficial way to cover their pain and to feel, to make themselves 
uh, feel worthy or feel as if they, they have accomplished something instead of dealing with the deeper emotional wounds that exist. So the water that Jesus offers goes to the root of the psychological wound. And I'm saying that if we are going to heal racism, now let me apply this to racism. Let me say that if we are going to heal racism, we must be aware of some of the psychological factors that is behind racism. So some of us have been wounded by parents who have been racist parents, and we are carrying that generational curse with us. We are even subconsciously we are acting out racism by seeing others who are different as being less than. Some of us are carry racist tendencies because we have inferior to complex and if we can put down others it makes us feel better about ourselves so we see Jesus applying in in in, in healing the racial divide speaking to the deeper things in this woman's soul so i see we're quickly out of time today if you have missed the first part of this show you can find it by going to our website at elim counseling ministry Com. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services, praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. <music>